calling all movie buffs, trivia enthusiasts, and curious minds. Hey, it's Megan, one of your GradCast hosts. Love movies, trivia, and free food? Then you won't want to miss GradCast's Movie Trivia Night on Wednesday, September 27th at the Grad Club in Middlesex College at Western University. Join us at 7pm for a night of cinema-themed fun factoids, loads of popcorn, and the chance to win our movie Binge Basket, as well as other cool prizes. Come with your A-game and your winning team, and whether you're a Western grad, alumni, or part of the London community, you're invited. Interested yet? We hope you won't miss out on this real opportunity. You see what I did there? Real. As in movie real. Well, that's maybe not my best work, but bad puns won't be a part of movie trivia night. For updates, follow us at GradCast Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and check out our movie trivia giveaway. That's a wrap, and we hope to see you there. Welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I'm your host, Anam Anjum. And I'm your co-host, Mark Ambrosio. Anam, did you know that during the Second World War, the residents of London, England, during the Battle of Britain or the Blitz, many of them hid in subway tunnels while London, England was being bombed? Did you know that? No, I did not know that. I don't know too much about history, honestly, about the World War II. I know a little bit about World War II, but not too much more. Joining us today to talk about the, the uh, Battle of Britain and the Blitz spirit during the Second World War is a MA candidate in history here at Western, Kristen Jeanbeau. Kristen, welcome to GradCast, and maybe tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you both for having me. Um, so by day, I am actually a production coordinator at a hydroponic greenhouse, and wow. then at night, or sometimes during the day part-time, <laughs> uh, I am a master's student here at Western. That's amazing. Oh, my goodness. You live a very um, eventful life. <laughs> That's the way I would put it. But um, could you please provide us an overview of your research? Sure. So what I'm looking at specifically are newsletters that were written by community members that were sheltering in London underground subway tunnels during the Blitz. Um, there's been a lot of work done on photographs, um, but there has been absolutely no study done on the newsletters that they wrote each other. And I found them buried in the bowels of the Imperial War Museum. <laughs> uh, Kristen, this is very interesting to me because when you think of uh, the Blitz or the Battle of Britain, we know, for example, that um, like a lot of children left um, London, England uh, and moved in some cases to farms or little villages further away from London, but you know, within England or perhaps Wales or Scotland. We know that some families moved to Canada, especially in children, moved to Canada. Mm -hmm. And we've heard anecdotes about these experiences. But you're right now, you mentioned it because we've seen photos or, you know, people have seen growing up photos of people hiding out in the subway tunnels during the bombing of London. But beyond the photos, we don't actually know what happened mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> in the tunnels. True. Exactly. My supervisor, Dr. Amy Bell, has done a lot of work on personal memoirs. Mm. And what I was interested in was specifically, we know what these people are writing for themselves or maybe for a government audience. Um, there was a group called the Mass Observation Project, and they essentially sent investigators um, all around England at the time to do little reports. But they knew that those reports were going to be read, so they were writing for an audience that they expected would read it. Um, with a lot of these newsletters, I was more interested in, okay, what are the stories these people are telling themselves to get through it? And I think 
there's this whole idea of the myth of the Blitz, so I'm sure everyone has heard, keep calm and carry on. When you look at a lot of these newsletters, it's the complete opposite. Wow. Um, it is a lot of, oh my gosh, freak out. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and there was a historian named Angus Calder who sort of exploded this. He wrote a book called Myth of the Blitz, and his main idea was London was not bombed into classless democracy. There was a lot of class conflict. Uh, there was a lot of racial tension as well. And these newsletters start to document that over the course of one to two years. Wow. So are these newsletters like the only documentation of this where it's not about the keep calm and carry on phenomenon? I would say aside from personal memoirs, they are. Um, what's really interesting, though, is you would think maybe are these people in the shelters having a similar experience? And it's wildly different. So in the West End of London near Westminster, some a lot of people might be familiar with like Westminster Abbey, Buckingham Palace. Um, the newsletters there were written starting in September 1940. Uh, the Blitz continued from September 1940 until about May of 1941. But the particular newsletter written uh, in St. James and Piccadilly Circus it continued until May of 1942. Oh, wow. The shelters were closed, but this shelter newsletter was still written. And that's part of my research is, okay, what is keeping this shelter newsletter going? Because the shelter is closed. And my supervisor suggested, well, maybe they made an emotional community. So maybe they made really deep emotional connections. And this fear and this anger is what is keeping them together after this. I'm very interested in the idea of the shelter community and the shelter newsletter. Um, I wanted to back it up a little bit, though, because growing up here in Canada or here in Ontario, um, we sometimes have this assumption that the English-speaking world, which is ironic, it's kind of ironic because it's not true, but that the English-speaking world has been spared from the horrors of war. But of course, um, the horrors of the Second World War visited upon, upon London, England during the Blitz. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, you know, the English-speaking world did see. And yet we sometimes forget that. And then when we, th or if we think about the Blitz, we think of King George and Queen Elizabeth, the Queen, who became the Queen Mother, mm -hmm. coming out like the day after a, a bombing and walking among the rubble. Yes. And that sense of reassurance and that sense of we will overcome, we will persevere. Uh, but not necessarily so much the sense of bombs are coming down upon us, mm -hmm. which yeah. I think must have been very, uh, for anybody, that must be very overpowering, must be very frightening. So what was the shelter experience like? So there there were kind of two or three distinct shelter experiences. Um, the first newsletter I looked at was called The Swiss Cottager, and it only had five issues, and it was entirely focused on sanitation. So they made an ad hoc shelter committee. Uh, the thing to remember is when people initially started running into these shelters, they weren't shelters. They were underground subway stations. They were right. not meant to be occupied. And mass amounts of people were just running into them at night. And it was only later, uh, maybe around November, that the London Transport Board formalized it and started issuing tickets and permits. Um, so this, the Swiss Cottage Newsletter, extremely concerned about sanitation. Um, portable toilets, uh, inabilities to shower or clean themselves, um, and even like bedding. How do you keep your bedding clean when you're lying down next to a, a rusty right. train track? Yeah. Um, whereas the, the other shelter newsletter, the Piccadilly Gazette and the St. James Lear, it was sort of like a variety newsletter. 
there wasn't really a focus on sanitation. They were griping about, we don't have hot tea. But then they would have <laughs> recipes on, here's how to cook a French hen or cocoven over a candle in the shelter. And inevitably, like, the last step was just throw it out. Um, wow. And they took a lot more from the trench newsletters in the First World War. So it was a lot of dark humor and anger sort of took place later. So it was more so a case of how do we get along? What's going on above? Um, the St. James Lear had a line to the extent of, well, broken windows don't mean broken hearts. We are continuing on. Um, and they actually started, in St. James specifically, a bomber fund. So Lord Beaverbrook gave communities the opportunity to all da- uh, donate money together, and you could name a bomber. And so they wanted to make the St. James and Piccadilly oh bomber. Oh my goodness, okay, wow. <laughs> um, so that those are sort of the distinct streams. It's we're concerned immediately, short term about sanitation, but also let's hunker down for the long haul and let's start, I don't want to say having fun, but yeah. eventually they did have Christmas concerts, they had Christmas gifts, um, they had libraries built down there. So it was very much more community-based. Wow, that's a whole like city of its own underground. Um, I'm just shocked by all of that. I definitely did think it would be a bit more emotional and like heart-wrenching because of the situation they're in. But the fact that they're making these like light-hearted and almost like getting humor out of it, like that's honestly some way to look at it. Like people have to at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, was it just like these three newspapers in this entire community and like? How do you think it was even established? Like, did people, like, were there community leaders that came up with these ideas? So there is about nine or ten of them, and the whole way I stumbled upon them was actually an offhand reference in the popular history about the London Underground. Um, I love transport history, I love trains, so I was very interested in this. And I actually found the same three or four books over and over just referencing one line in the Swiss Cottager, but no one actually cited where did they find it. Um, So I have copies of four different shelters. I know there are nine or ten, but I can only find reference Mm. to them in name. And that is the big problem because these weren't official documents. um, It's really hit and miss as to what is kept. And that in itself is a really interesting question. Like, who decided that a year and a half of these, you know, hand photocopied or, you know, in some cases, handwritten newsletters were worth keeping? Wow. And as far as the authors go, um, for the Swiss Cottager, uh, it was a committee of people. And actually, it combusted after five issues because there was infighting. And they couldn't decide who would be in charge. And then... All politics is local. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So they went by their names. And there was one gentleman named Dore Silverman who actually got interviewed on BBC Radio. And he was basically, like, blasting the other members of the committee for ruining his newsletter. Um, The other one in St. James and Piccadilly that went on for a year and a half, it had two authors. The first one was named Pluto, and I'm in the process of trying to identify who that is. Right. The second one was a person named uh, Herbert Leonard Bryant Pierce, and I was originally not going to focus on him at all, uh, but he is a very strange person, and he is sort of intrinsic to why the newsletter went on for as long as it did. So sorry, what is this gentleman's name? Uh, Herbert Leonard Bryant Pierce. What makes Herbert Lyon Bernard (laughs) Pierce? What makes him him a strange man? He occasionally refers to himself as a doctor. Oh, okay. um, But he was not at the time. Um, He was a fellow of the Royal Geographic Society. Was Um, he a doctor insofar as he had a PhD? Or was he, in any sense, the word doctor? 
Neither. Um, okay. <laughs> um, the reason I found out about him is he formed this group called the London Appreciation Society, and it was basically walking tours. Oh. And I emailed that they still exist, and I just emailed them oh. and said, hey, um, you know, Bryant Pierce wrote all these newsletters. Do you in your archives have anything about him? And this gentleman replied to me, and he's like, oh, we, we have a lot about his personal life. What do you mean newsletters? Oh, my god. And gosh. he had no idea. So he was in the process of writing a biography, and he had no idea. And we both came to this startling realization that the newsletters in May of 1941 took a complete 180. So the jokes were gone, the recipes were gone, the, the personality parade, as they called mm. it, where they interview people were gone. It was immediately replaced with almost like all caps typing of this is a war against the German people. We must bomb every woman, child, and man. Oh my gosh. There can be no surrender. And you could almost picture this guy basically yelling at a platform like spittle flying forth. Whoa. And we both realized that Bryant Pierce's parents were killed on May 11th, 1941 oh. in the, oh last, my the last major bombing. Oh. So... It was fascinating because he had been working on this autobiography of the founder of his group and had no idea. I was trying to find out who this gentleman is and why does this suddenly, a month into his tenure, turn crazy? And so we started sending emails flying back and forth. um, And it really remarkably changed both of our research. Yes, that's revolutionary. The fact yeah. that there's a biography being made and the author doesn't even know like about the newspapers, that's wild. And mm-hmm. the fact that you figured out that that's the day that his parents, like, oh my gosh, that's absolutely wild. Like, I'm shocked. Okay, wow. It is interesting when you're doing history, we can see start to see things come together mm-hmm. and then, okay, that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Um, can we go back to the other author named Pluto? Um, yes. So is that just like a name that this author gave to themselves so they didn't want to be known and that's why you can't find their real name? Yeah. Um, he's kind of like Pokeroo. Like he, <laughs> I can't seem to... I, I say him because yeah. I'm reasonably certain based on all of the commentary, it's a him. Going back to that group I talked about, the Mass Observation Report, they sent investigators into the subway stations to try and find Pluto, and they would just fill out single index cards, like December 28th, went to Piccadilly, couldn't even find a copy of the newsletter, no one knows who Pluto is, I've heard he's a tall chap, (laughs) and that's it. Um, Pluto refers to himself in the third person, and so I'm honestly not sure if it's one person or many. Um, But alternatively, there's a reference to Pluto being a South African journalist. There's Mm. reference to Pluto giving up the newsletter to join the Royal Air Force. And that's where anyone who's done any sort of work on stories realizes when you have an unreliable narrator, Mm. that is frustrating and fascinating. Um, Kristen, I'm wondering if you can... So you told us about um, there being three newsletters you've looked Mm. at. How are you researching these newsletters? Like, are you looking at archives? And if so, where? And how are you accessing them? Yes. So uh, digitized archives. I haven't gone to England yet, although really the cost of photocopying from the Imperial War Museum is quite expensive. So the newsletters, are they at the Imperial War Museum? Yes. So some are at the Imperial War Museum in England. Some are at the London Transport Museum. And I found one or two off pages in individual archives, so the City of Westminster, the Lambeth archives, Um, but a lot of them haven't been digitized, Mm. and I'm actually currently in an 18-month argument with the Imperial War Museum and Capitol Radio over 
a recording of that interview that Dory Silverman gave where he was blasting the other authors. They've all acknowledged it exists, but they're not sure who has the rights to let me hear it. Oh. Are you so kidding me? Oh every every couple of months, I'm I'm emailing Capitol Radio and the Imperial War Museum. I'm like, can you send me a transcript? Like, I'm not going to air this. I just I need to hear it. Wow. So it's primarily the Imperial War Museum. Also, you mentioned the Transport. Uh, London Transport Museum. London Transport Museum. And you mentioned that there's Lambeth archives for the yeah. city of Westminster. Uh, so Lambeth, uh, south of the river, and then the city of Westminster okay. also has their own archives. Okay, okay. so there's four, four. Yep. archives sites you're looking at. Um, yes. And most of them are, are digitizing, like scanning letters and sending email them to you? Yes. So I will simply see a record, and then I don't actually know what the contents are until I get it. Um, so I found a few of these actually with typos. So sometimes the name was spelled incorrectly, and then it, it's buried there. Mm. Um, I've also found a lot of newspaper reports. So my, my first question was, okay, this guy's typing these up. And he says he has a readership of 10,000 people. How do I verify <laughs> that? Um, so I found references in an Australian newspaper that copies were mailed there. Um, the New York Times. Um, and frustratingly, there's this uh, magazine called PM Magazine in the U.S. And they report on a copy of the newsletter I do not have. So I don't have all of them. And there's an account of it in there. And I emailed the archive for this magazine. It was like, hey, do you happen to have it? And this lovely woman basically said, you know what? I have to go to the archive tomorrow anyway. So let me just take a photo on my cell phone and email it to you. Oh, that's so nice. (laughs) (laughs) So, and yesterday I found an account of the newsletter in a Hungarian newspaper in 1941, February. So it's obviously getting out there. Oh, yeah. But I have no idea how many people actually read it and where I'm going to find other copies. Right. That's so okay. it sounds like there's a lot of primary, like I know in history there's tension between primary sources and secondary sources and having good balance. Mm-hmm. Yes. It sounds like you have a good balance. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm hoping so. So is the lack of like getting the rights to even hear this transcript or see the transcript or um, like the lack of digitization, the biggest challenges that you faced when like trying to conduct your research? Right now I'd say so. And also um, going back to what I said a bit earlier, I, I don't know how it was necessarily received. Hmm. So I have a couple newspaper reports, but I don't actually understand, are the claims that they're making in this newspaper real? Um, They actually claim they started charging for the newspaper and they collected about 500 pounds and they said they sent it to the bomber fund. I don't, I can't track down if they actually sent it. So if this guy's just grifting them all and saying it's for charity. Right. So there's a lot of unanswered questions. Fair. So I'm wondering... um, I'm intrigued by this idea of community, and you mentioned that you're also interested in transportation history in general, which I think very fascinating because when people think of the history of Second World War, they tend to think of, okay, the battles, mm-hmm. D-Day, etc. Mm-hmm. this many died on this day, and, you know, Montgomery and Rommel, a lot of figures, and the tactics, and just the battles, yeah, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. uh, which is very interesting, but I think we sometimes forget the social history of World War II. We forget the sense of community. And I find the idea of community, linking that to transportation history, very interesting. Um, I think back to like when I did my undergraduate and taking the bus. And when you start to take the bus at certain times, and you start to see people you recognize. Yes. And you might nod. And it occurs to yourself, I remember one time we were stuck in a snowstorm, and the bus driver just put the bus in park. He got up and he sat down. He just came back and because no one was moving, and he sat down and he just said, "Hey, how's everyone? Go- how's it going today?" Mm-hmm. And it occurred to me, "Well, okay, here's a bit of community, mm-hmm. and this idea of how communities sometimes arise spontaneously." Mm-hmm. 
So yeah. it's good to, this all roundabout way of saying, it's interesting to look at the social side of the Second World War's history. And looking at that social side, it's good to, I think, interesting to explore the idea of community. And I, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you mentioned earlier, uh, Kristen, that sometimes people were seeking shelter before the underground was opened up for pe- to people. Yes. So was this a community thing, the seeking of shelter? How did community arise in such dire circumstances? Mm. Yeah, so the underground didn't officially start regulating um, until two or three months after this happened. And I think what you were talking about, like people tend to think about the battles and things like that. There were about 45,000 civilian casualties during the Blitz, and 7,000 of them were children. Oh, my gosh. So the community that was formed uh, was also very class-based. So a lot of the people you mentioned earlier, like, oh, we've heard about people, they went to Canada, they went to the countryside. There was extreme anger on the part of a lot of these people Mm -hmm. sheltering that some people had the ability to just go away to the country for a week and then come back. And when they saw people of an upper class in the shelter, they tended to verbally berate them and said that they were being tourists, they were slumming it. So while there was a community, it was still very class-based. And originally what would happen is families would kind of go down together. The problem is it's really hard to get sleep when you're down there. Right, of course. Um, So you start to see cases of kind of mutual care. So maybe you bring the kids down to the shelter this night so I can get some sleep, and then I do them the next night. And you actually start to see things like shelter daycares be formed. Really? um, And shelter libraries and education. And my idea of community is basically going to be centered around emotions. Mm -hmm. So fear and then anger and then... Um, xenophobia, obviously not a yeah uh, an emotion, um, but it's a sea change that you start to see. Right, and do you also try to see the um, the audience's perspective, which is already you said like it's difficult to find before that May eleventh newspaper change and after that May like after mm-hmm. where things just took such a turn in the newspaper. Are you trying to find that out as well? I am. I'm having difficulty finding a lot of public reaction after because keeping in mind the blitz effectively stopped in May and when people think about deep underground shelters because the British government built massive ones that could house upwards of 50,000 people those actually weren't ready till 1942 so it was it was long after oh. they were needed that's um, uh, very typical of all things, all things government. Yeah. 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 Um, and some of them still exist, and you can actually tour through them. Oh, wow. Um, I've only been able to do a virtual tour through right. one. Yes. Um, I think there was just a, a general weariness, and most of the public commentary about these newsletters was before Christmas 1940 because of the novelty. Mm. Look at all these people in the underground writing their own little newsletters, like newspapers. Oh, my gosh. Like hawking them for three pence a piece, and yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering if, uh, Kristen, you can tell us a little bit about your journey. Um, And by that, I mean two things, both your journey personally, what brought you to the MA program in history here at Western, Mm -hmm. but also your journey academically, what brought you, i.e. were you interested in the Second World War, what brought you to this specific topic? Sure. Um, So as far as personal journey goes, uh, I'm a mature student, so I 
began my undergrad at King's College in 2001. <laughs> and I went part-time for a little while. And then my year off uh, turned into about 15 years off. <laughs> and then uh, I, I decided I, I, I wanted to finish it. So I have a career. I've been established in my workplace for about 12 years now. But I, I wanted to do this for its own sake. I love I love sharing stories. Yeah. So I finished up my undergrad at King's and I was actually taking an experiential course in my last year there in 2022 and we went to France and Belgium. So wow. we we went underground into the tunnels in the First World War. We went along the Western Front and it sort of hit me at that point. I was not ready to give this up. <laughs> so I, I applied for the master's program. Um, I went part-time last year, and then this year I decided I didn't want to give it up again, so I'm actually in what I call the three-ring shirkus right now, <laughs> applying for a PhD funding and applying to the program for next year. That's amazing. Oh, oh my gosh. Wow. Well, best wishes, and I, I sense that there may be one or two more uh, GradCast interviews in the future. I, I hope so. <laughs> yes. um, as far as the topic specifically, I've been super fascinated with the London Underground. Mm. I was trying to find a way to shove a topic in there that hadn't been done. And right. the London Underground is fascinating because it's it's a brand. Like, mm. I have posters of the London Underground in my room. Like, they actually thought of themselves as not an art house, but a, as a gallery. So in the early 20th century, their director had standards. Wow. So when they were going to put up First World War posters from the government, their director said, no, these are too ugly. Um, I've made my own font. I will make my own design, and we will put up propaganda that fits with our art standards. Okay. Um, so the newsletters were a happy accident. Nice. That's interesting what you say about the London Underground not just being a way of physically transporting people around London and Westminster, but also being a brand. Mm -hmm. oh. Mind the gap. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but which is quite fascinating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so what made you go into history in general? Like, I, where did that interest come from? Um, I, I was never particularly gifted at math and science. Uh, I feel like in a in a way I'm kind of a natural born storyteller and I love hearing other people's stories and I want to be able to share them. Nice. Yeah. It's interesting to be able to hear um, look at history through the eye through the eye of narrative and through the prism of narrative. Yes. Which makes it that much more fascinating and compelling to us. So for example, we talked um, at earlier I mentioned, you know, about how children some children were sent to the countryside or to Canada um, the colonies. Mm -hmm. Um but you know, you mentioned how many? How, sorry, how many was it that died? Uh, Fifteen thousand casualties, of which seven, about half of them, were deaths. Yeah. So yes, there were in far too many. It sounds yeah. like. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And a, a lot of the casualties um, were surface bombings. Um, in the actual underground, there were only two real incidents where the shelter was hit, and one of them was actually it wasn't because of a bomb. There was a stampede of people, so about one hundred fifty people died trying to get into the shelter. So just overall, how might your research contribute to the broader field of history? And what advice would you give to somebody that wants to enter this field of history? I think the default knee-jerk answer a lot of people have is, oh, it, f it fills a gap in the literature. <laughs> um, there's always going to be gaps in literature, and that's not necessarily the best reason to pursue something. But I think in my specific case, um, these are stories that haven't been told, and no one specifically looked at this method of storytelling, so the newsletter method. We've looked at photographs, we've looked at memoirs, we've looked at radio broadcasts, but not newsletters. And as far as anyone looking to get into history, find something you're interested in. So like, don't force it. Don't decide, oh, I need to study this topic because this is what's cool. Um, right. 
Although saying the word cool in history at the same time, most people <laughs> don't agree with that. Um, and then, you know, do a reading survey. So find out, are there authors you do and don't like, or maybe someone says something you disagree with and explore that and think maybe I have something to offer as well. Yeah, we often think about when we think of graduate or postgraduate research, we think of the gaps. Mm-hmm. And fair enough, you know, there's a gap in the scholarship, there's missing section on the library shelf. But I think a lot... It's not so much that there's a gap, or at least I feel that's an insufficient way so much as a new way of looking at something. And yes. in this case, you're looking at something we all know about to, to varying degrees, but through the prism of narrative, mm-hmm. which I find very fascinating. So thank you very much, Kristen, for joining us. We are just about out, out of time, so we really appreciate having you here today for our interview. Um, if anyone wants to know more about your research, Kristen, is there a website they can go to or email they can reach you at? Yes, I'm on Twitter and Blue Sky at Kristen Jambo, or you can contact, contact me on my UWO email, which is on the history website. Great, and we'll be sure to share those links on the episode description on our website. This has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Anam Anjum, and my co-host was Mark Ambrosio. We've been speaking with Christian Jean Vo, and this episode was produced by Susie Lee. If you would like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcast at sogs.ca. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at GradCast Radio. To listen to us, we are on Radio Western 94.9 FM. You can also find all of our episodes wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of your day.